All right, welcome to another edition of the Untitled Movie Podcast. We are back. We are back with a full house. Raven, how are you doing? I'm good. Still Scott? Belted in place. <laughs> you go out to uh, everybody go check out uh, Raven's uh, Instagram page uh, and peep out her uh, her special effects or is it, is it practical effects it would be for your, your makeup effects? They're a work in progress. I don't know what you call them right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, what's been going on, my brother? It's the same soup, just reheated, player. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a uh, guest again. He's not even a guest no more. He just is the guy that's on the couch. Um, at this point, our man Paul Hibbert is back with us again to review Bad Hair. <laughs> How you doing? Great, great, great. Uh, just busy making movies. Uh, but uh, I'm, You got anything I'm, you want to tell people about you got coming up or that you had come out maybe during COVID that they could go check out? Yeah, you know, weirdly this year during COVID is like the busiest year I've had for making movies in a while. Um, we shot one in the summer. And that was just a small one that we shot to test out some new equipment we have. But the equipment we were testing was for a horror movie that we're going to be filming later on this month. It'll probably take um, maybe up to eight months to a year for it to be done because we're going to put a lot of digital effects and score and stuff like that into it. But it's a movie I'm pretty excited about. And, and uh, Raven's helping out on it, too. And it's, uh, it's going to be a blast. Now, now, the social media said that Raven will be doing the rap soundtrack for the movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. Uh, I, I would. I would love that. <laughs> I actually can't rap. Just. So oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll have you do it on set in between uh, when we're all stressed out if things aren't going right. We'll just have you rap to. Uh, I'm going to be sixteen bars, Raven. All right. Yeah, the, the, uh, the uh, movie's called uh, Some Visitors, so look out for it next year. Some visitors. Okay. Okay. It's gonna be a good one. Uh, yeah, so all right, so I'm gonna start with you, Paul. Uh, your, what is your score for bad hair and your initial thoughts, overall thoughts? Um, well, how do, how do you do scores? Is it a letter or is it numbers? Uh, just go as one, one to 10. One to 10. Um, I gave it a seven on Letterboxd, so I'll stick with that. I gave it a seven. I thought that uh, it was a really well-paced movie. I think going into it, I thought it was just going to be goofy and I thought it was going to be ridiculous because a lot of times there's movies like this where it's just about like a, a killer inanimate object and the director isn't taking it very seriously. But I felt like uh, he, uh, the director was taking it very seriously with, not only with the commentary, but also just with, with the patience of the filmmaking. I mean, the first half, probably the first 45 minutes, very little happens. And I think he's really respecting the audience to stick with it and kind of uh, get pulled into the drama of the story. And then he kind of uh, lets loose at the end. And the end lost me a little bit because he it got kind of big, it got kind of ridiculous and it got really into like digital effects that look kind of silly at times. Um, but I would say overall, I give it a strong seven in the first half, I give almost a nine to a 10. I, th- I mean, I thought it began p- perfectly at first. All right, Scott, what you think? Um, wow, seven's hard to follow. Um, I, um, as an actual film, I probably give it like a six as a film. Uh, from a, a content perspective, I thought the story uh, was original and unique. I thought that they uh, played up certain tropes from historical uh, 70s black exploitation films. I thought they pulled out things from cultural references and the, the actors uh, that were in it. They um, they did their best uh, with the material to uh, take it seriously, and you know, given what the narrative of the story was, uh, they you know they, they handled it they handled that material pretty well. Uh, I found it interesting, um, and, you know, uh, obviously with my hair situation, uh, you know, adding hair uh, to hair, you know, is a little bit resonates a little bit differently with me. But uh, uh, it, it it took me back to uh, a time when the movies that were being made. Uh, you know, during that actual time period had that same feel and vibe, you know, that they were uh, a uniquely uh, Black ADOS experience and um, they didn't steer away from that. And so I, I appreciate that and, uh, and, and, and enjoyed that. Um, you know, maybe to the, toward the end, it got a little bit too robust as far as, you know, the origin of where the hair came from and who owns it and, and what the actual motivation was that kind of it, it kind of got tedious uh, toward the end, but uh, overall, I enjoyed the movie. I actually watched it twice, so. That's okay. Raven? Uh, 
Um, I am. I'm a tough critic, as you all know. Um, I initially thought it was absolutely ridiculous, uh, <laughs> but then I, but then I realized I actually kind of liked that, um, that it was so ridiculous. Um, you know, it is satire. So I, I think I just wanted something more. Like I think I wanted more horror than like humor. Um, but once I kind of got over my expectations, I stepped back and decided that you know this is, it was entertaining. Um, but I still would only give it like a five and a half. Um, just because I thought the ending was kind of muddy um, and maybe they could have weaved, no pun intended, the the um, backstory of the, the evil hair a little bit better because it just kind of seemed kind of jumbled at the end. But I loved the the cast. I mean, we had a lot of new people. We had Blair and then we had a lot of our, our classics. We had Vanessa Williams and Blair Underwood and James Vanderbeek. And then you throw in Usher and Kelly Rowland. Um, I love Lena Waithe. I think she's super creative and fun. And then Jay Farrow. So I, I loved the cast. I thought everybody did a great job. But um, there were just some things kind of missing um, for me. So I'm only giving it a five and a half. All right. Um, I'm going to give it a six and a half. Uh, at first, I thought it was ridiculous. Um, I, and then, I, like, I, like, like Raven said, I thought, I was like, man, you know what? It's not as bad. I kind of went into it with the concept. It was going to be kind of like a thriller and it was like a mental, I thought it was going to be a mental thing she was going through with her hair. And it was like her, her own torment, you know, that was like kind of like a thing where she was projecting what was inside of her head into what was because of this hair bringing her down that it was becoming these projections that she would put out into the world, which I thought would be more like a thriller piece. I didn't know, I didn't expect it was going to be like that. But after I really thought about it, it was, it was just a quirky, cool movie, you know. So I, I like I said, I gave it a six and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, Body Bags, the John Carpenter movie? Yes, I have. It, they did a, a segment kind of like that, too, where they had one. I think it was just called Hair, if I'm not mistaken. But it was a guy. And it was a guy who got a hair transplant. And it, it started to pos possess him and kind of take over. And it, they actually explained in it that the, uh, the people who do the hair transplant in it were um, aliens. And they were trying to put their alien seed into this guy through his head, basically. And it, I was thinking of that a lot, too. And I couldn't find it. I looked it up. I couldn't find uh, the director saying he was actually directly influenced by it, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some, at least some narrative influence there. Yeah, I know he said he was uh, directly influenced by a lot of the Japanese um, hair horror movies. Yeah, you can tell that at the end, really. Yeah. That threw me off because uh, initially they made a statement that the hair came from witches and the witches were ultimately going to take over the host, uh, you know, uh, you know, through, you know, sucking blood through the hair. But then they go back to this tree thing where it was the hair was separate moss, and, it, and I, I couldn't really, I couldn't really figure out what, what exactly was the story. Like, what was the origin story of the the hair? Like, they never really tied the trees to the witches, and yeah. uh, you know, it's one thing for the it's one thing for the the hair to attack, you know, nine hosts uh, to use their blood to to, to you know to, to empower themselves, but why Vanessa Williams' hair after she was murdered by the hair decided to attack. Uh, you know the the protagonist. It just it's, it just kind of lost me. Uh, that's the motivation. Yeah. yeah, and then was James Vanderbeek like in a a flashback of the story too? Like, so he was some sort of reincarnation of the evil behind it as well. Well, I think I think he was a descendant of the slave owner who was initially killed, but mm -hmm. it, it seemed like too many generations had passed. So you talked about yeah. that that slave owner had two sons, but we were talking about the like late eighties, early nineties. So it's like that was. At the time, it didn't quite work out to me. At least. Yeah, yeah, definitely got a little muddy there at the end. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> what do you all think about the uh, main character in the film? Let me, I forgot her. Let me pull her name up here. Uh, she was actually she was actually a pretty good actress. Um, oh, L. Lorraine. L. Lorraine. Um, yeah. But she played the character of um, uh, Anna. Mm -hmm. um, what do you all think about her character and how she kind of was portrayed in the? Uh, with her kind of torment and the way she was going and it had her kind of just position. Yeah, I mean, I think all, you know, all black women, women of color can relate to her, um, you know, in the way that hair can um, influence and dictate your success in the workplace. Um, you know, when we just had the podcast last week, I had it in my DIY passion twists and I was starting a brand new job last Monday and I was like, do I need to take these out? What am I, am I gonna, what are they gonna think of me? Um, 
you know, I was just kind of doing this for fun. Is this professional? And I was like, fuck it. I am, you know, I've been practicing law for almost 13 years now. I've proven myself. Who gives a shit? Like, I'm just going to show up like this and they're going to like it or they're not. And I ended up taking them out just because they, you know, I need to wash my hair at least once a week. And I couldn't do that with those in there. So I took them out the very next day and my boss noticed. And she was like, did you take those out because you thought we were too conservative of an environment? And I was like, no, you know, this, you know, this was my personal choice. I thought it was interesting totally that yes, you know, he noted it. Say that again. You totally should have said, said yes, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I already have a nose ring. And, like, you know, I push the boundaries a lot at work anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I kind of stopped caring about my hair. And um, But I remember when I first started practicing law, you know, I had my hair in a bun every day or I was going to straighten it. And I remember the first time I wore my hair naturally curly to work everybody was just like, oh my God. And I had several people tell me that it was too sexy. Um, so anyway, you know, I, I could definitely relate to the feeling that she has, like just how distracting, you know, how you feel, how other people, how you perceive other people will perceive you and your hair can be in the workplace. Um, so, you know, I, I felt her pain through, you know, uh, internalizing that and making the decision to get the weave. Um, and then I thought the actress did a great job. Um, all of that is so new to me. I mean, that, that's all so foreign. Cause I'm, I'm a white guy who doesn't have any hair. So like all of that was so, and, and I mean, I still felt it though. I felt, I mean, her performance was so good that it really drew me in. And I felt this environment that I didn't really even understand to the point when they were putting the hair in and it was so rough and so bloody. I did not know if that's really what happened or if the director was just going big at that moment or not. Yeah. It, looked so painful that i don't know i've never had a sew in weave i think it was probably a little bit exaggerated yeah um, i don't think they sew it into your scalp um but yeah i mean i do know that it can be painful yeah i i, I i've never had a sew-in weave but i would imagine someone taking a, a piece of needle and thread into someone's scalp at a, a barber or a hair salon is probably frowned upon in most places people don't sew things into people's flesh without <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no i thought i thought she was great I, I think she went through the arc of the character magnificently um uh one of the things that i, I talked about in my review is how this is i felt like this was essentially a, a body horror movie something along the lines of what like david cronenberg does like the fly and um I feel like in all, in those movies, it's always like a situation where a character first gets whatever part of their body starts to betray them, in this case, her hair. And then she starts to be able to, the, he or she, whatever the movie is, in this case, she, she's able to use the piece of her body to her advantage. In this case, when she fights off the, uh, the rapist landlord. And it's like a moment where she kind of realizes the hair is an ally of hers. And then eventually when she comes basically full victim to the hair. So her character goes through this huge arc hitting all of those points. And I feel like her performance was fantastic. I felt like her performance um, pulled you in on every beat of that arc when she, a lesser actor might've lost you. Mm-hmm, yeah. What do you think, Scott? Oh, I mean, I don't have, I don't, I don't disagree much. I mean, um, I, I found, I found the arc a little bit interesting from the character because, um, you know, first we're going to the situation where um, her previous mentor is let go, and there's this new cultural shift that happens. So I don't necessarily know. I quite identified uh, that the hair was the issue, and her, the lack, of, her lack of advancement up until that point was dependent upon the hair um, because there was a cultural shift uh, at, at her job. And then uh, when she uh, goes to get, get, get the hair removed, um, the way that she had uh, interacted with her uh, former mentor previously seemed a little bit disingenuous because it was as if, you know, she had some type of animosity to it, that uh, mentor. And then, you know, they're in this, uh, hair salon and then the hair murders everybody in the room and she didn't really seem to have the same level of remorse that for her mentor that she did for the rapist landlord uh, which struck me as a little odd um, but it could have just been something that was left on the, the editing room floor um, so I mean that arc was a little bit weird for me 
Um, but overall, I do like how uh, they kind of tied into, you know, her her experience with her, her cousin and her family, and and, so, and somehow both some of the experiences kind of shaped how she responded uh, to some of the at least the non you know hair whore components of, of her character. Yeah, one thing I didn't understand was the family backstory. Like I didn't, I was like, wait, is this her sister in the beginning of the movie, and then Blair Underwood and his wife, you know, and. I was like, who was was her uncle? That was her uncle, right? That was her uncle, right? It was kind of distracting. And so when I was listening to the interviews with um, the director and the actress, the reason they did it that way is because she said she has a strong Texas accent and, you know, they're supposed to be in L.A. And they wanted there to be an explanation as to why her dialect was a little bit different. But I didn't even hear it. So um, I didn't know that that was necessary for them to make the family situation so complicated to accommodate her her the way she speaks naturally yeah that's interesting you said that i didn't even that's wow so she wow so that's why they because at first i guess in the original script that must have been her parents then yeah it was a different family situation they decided to make them not um you know at least part of the same immediate family because of that and so the other girl is her sister right the other girl that was doing her hair right is her sister or is that her cousin and then i her foster family at some point so I don't know like I'm still confused about what the family situation was I thought it was her cousin the one who her checked her and brought the hamburgers the, the ble- bloody hamburgers mm-hmm. the one that was mm-hmm. giving her the relaxer at the beginning of the movie yeah that was her cousin okay okay of the age okay. dynamic from that first scene to like later on in the movie was a little off because like she seemed to be a lot older than her uh in yeah. person but then they seemed to be uh, the more the same age and the later scenes. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, 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 go, uh, go ahead, go ahead, um, Raven. Oh no, that was it. Oh no, no, I was asking a question about that. So let's let's we could dive into the idea of the beginning a little bit. And that's something I know for a lot of uh, uh, black women with the the cracky cream, as they call it, with those relaxers, um, and that whole process of how that that you know, different people, everybody wants to have the wavy hair or the straight hair. Um, that was a cool part of the film was that beginning of part of that. I was like, okay, this is, this is maybe kind of interesting way to kind of, uh, explore the world of uh, this bad hair thing. Um, what did y'all think about kind of that earlier uh, part of the film with that, with setting that up with the, with the cracky cream part? I thought was, I thought that reminded me a lot of uh, what we talk about, like the Japanese influence that he had, which he's pretty open about. Because a lot of Japanese movies, they open up with that that cold open, that that just open that that takes you right into the story. And um, the Japanese kind of popularized that in the '90s. And the, the biggest example is um, Ringu or The Ring, and you know, it got turned into The Ring in America. Mm-hmm. And they uh, they have that 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 cold open where where the two girls are talking about how they, they um, watched the video a week ago and it's that night and, and you're just being thrown into the story. And when I felt like that, when I was watching that beginning, it kind of rung that that's where he was getting that influence from. And then I kind of, you know, when I read afterwards and I kind of confirmed that he was really influenced by Japanese films, I thought that that was a good like piece or a good homage to those kinds of films. Yeah. I mean, it was a good setup to show, you know, the, the torture that, black women are willing to go through to assimilate. Um, and one thing I didn't notice that I, I, um, I heard or read in another review was that the, the face on the, the relaxer box was Vanessa Williams, you know, cause she was supposed to be a model. And I didn't, I didn't realize that um, before, but you know, I can remember, I never had a relaxer. I always wanted one. And my mom would always be like, your hair is going to fall out. You can't have that. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to have straight hair. I was like, you're not going to have any hair. But it was like, I just wanted to be like, you know, my black friends and get a relaxer too and have my hair flow in the wind, you know, and not be the jumbled curly mess it was at the time. Um, did that, uh, and toward the end scene, they actually had two uh, posters of Vanessa Williams. They had mm-hmm. one that was just an advertisement of, of, I believe, Los Angeles that had Vanessa Williams coincidentally on there. And then they also had an advertisement of Vanessa Williams' character in character uh, on a billboard uh, on that final scene as they exit the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, but besides Barry Bonds and Michael Jordan, Vanessa Williams is the only person I had on my wall growing up. So I was very uh, sensitive. To her. So, yeah. yeah, they could have used Kelly Rowland because doesn't she's a I think a spokesmodel for Dark and Lovely Relaxer. Yeah, she is. I think she is. 
Yeah. 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 She's on the commercial. I think she's on the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is. I think she's on the box. Uh, and the, since we talk about Kelly Rowland, what did y'all think about her role in this? Um, I, I'll give y'all my thoughts in general. They just threw Kelly Rowland and Usher in here to make you think they was in there longer than what they were. Remember, like, if it reminds me of, like, in the 90s, where they would, like, have a rapper in there or have somebody, like, they'd be, like, starring... Um, Bobby Brown and Ghostbusters, too. Exactly. That is it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect example, Scott. Because as a kid, you're like, oh, Bobby Brown going to be in Ghostbusters, too? You get in there, he just in one scene, like, oh, y'all the Ghostbusters? <laughs> oh, you see. <laughs> And opens the door for me, go this way. <laughs> and you're like, okay, Bobby Brown will show back up with a proton pack at some point, right? <laughs> like, that's the way they set it up for you back in the day. And they would have you on the bit on the on the the main marquee card. I guarantee it's probably on the poster somewhere. Yeah. Starring Bobby Brown. <laughs> like, and that's how I feel Kelly Rowland and Usher were in this to a certain extent. Definitely Usher. Kelly Rowland had a, a bigger part than he did. I think I saw him with one and a half scenes. <laughs> Yeah, um, wait. He looked. He looked like he was having fun in those scenes, though. <laughs> like Usher <laughs> felt like he was like, "I'll do this movie if I can just do what I want and have a blast." Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have any script. He just said whatever the hell he thought. Completely ad libbed that scene. No, I mean, but Kelly did a good job, and she can actually act. Um, she can act real good. I got like definitely like, like she. All of her scenes reminded me of Janet Jackson doing Pleasure Principle. Um, and she said, like, that, that was, like, the inspiration for her character. You know, everybody was mesmerized in the late 80s when Janet Jackson came out swinging her hair and dancing and, like, it's not flying across the room. Um, so, I, because I guess, like, at that time, it was a new way. It wasn't a wig. Like, weaves were new at that point. It was a new way to securing it um, that you could, you know, move your head and not have to worry about your hair flying off. That is... Yeah, I, yeah Ke Kelly... <laughs> what you say? So what was... Go, go ahead, Scott. What'd you say? I was that's just tragic that that was a point in time where that your hair not flying off your head, you can move your neck at the same time was <laughs> a selling feature for that. It's, so, 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 Raven. So, pleasure is pleasure principle like it's supposed to be the video that kind of kicked that off. Like, kicked I don't, off? That's what it reminded me of. It looked a lot like the same dance moves, the outfit, the hairstyle. That's what it reminded me of. I mean, it would make sense that it would be Janet though, because she's kind of the <laughs> first modern just straight dance and singer of that of that time that was like you doing it like doing it yeah, up her on, Paul Abdul around the same time yeah right yeah yeah um what did you uh what what, did, what, did, what was Usher's role was he her assistant I don't know I, I didn't know what his role was. manager maybe like because yeah, he just popped it into the video you know I, 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 I thought understand. he was like a, a producer or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah, it was irrelevant. He, it, was, it was Bobby Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's dive a little bit more into her as a character, Anna. So Anna's going through all this stuff um, uh, with the interviews and the way she got into her career. What did you all think about that aspect? And actually, let's, let, let me take a step back. What do you all think about the placement of the time being the 89? That was my year. I love that. So, so what? Was your what? Year? <laughs> 89 was my year. Your year to do what? <laughs> I was going through my teenage years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Aren't you like 10? Uh, I, was, I was 12. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I don't I, So I thought they picked that year because like that's when we was, you know, the thing. Mm, okay. But I, I, didn't I know love, yeah. I mean, that's that's just what I learned from watching the interviews with the the director. Um, yeah. What well, one thing I was uh, taken from because because he was you know pretty influenced, like I said, from from Body Horror and from Cronenberg, and those movies really proliferated in the in the eighties. And Body Horror was so popular in the eighties because of AIDS, and it really was like a response to AIDS. Like, like, like you were seeing people in the media and hearing these stories about people's bodies changing. And so like a lot of these movies, like The Fly and um, American Werewolf in London, stuff like that, these horror movies where people's bodies were drastically changing came out in the eighties. And if he was indeed that influenced by him, that might've had something to do with it too, that he wanted to make a body horror movie that was set in the height of that period. Mm. That's interesting, huh? Because, I mean, if, if people don't know, Justin Simeon, the director of this, also did Dear White People, and it was Dear White People TV show um, as well. Um, 
And with 89 for the year, that's also kind of when BET kind of really picked up for real and kind of blew up. Like, I mean, not blew up, but it was like Rap City had started around then, things like that. So you kind of, that was kind of, I guess, a pivotal year. And I guess with, for this show, culture, I guess culture is supposed to be BET, right? Is that what we're taking it? Yeah. Is? Yeah, that they then changed to cult, which was a great metaphor. Oh, <laughs> um, what did y'all, uh, so with the, with the, like the way Vanessa Williams character comes in, we can talk about her character. What did you all think about her initially coming in and how they kind of set her up within the, within the plot? Sorry, I just, I got distracted because I was trying to look at when Weave was invented. It was actually invented, <laughs> <laughs> it was actually invented in 1951 by a black woman named Christina Jenkins. So really? Yeah. Christina Jenkins, that's, wow, that's a hell of, wow, that's okay. Quite, quite black name. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying, just stereotypical all the way. Yeah, mm. but Weave actually dates back 12,000 years. That's going to be on Black right. Card Report 2020 edition. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, what was your question, Darren? Oh, yeah, no, no, I was saying Vanessa Williams' character, along with the, we can talk about her versus Anna. Oh, no, no, you know what? Let's talk about Anna with her, her, what she's going through with the jobs and like how she is kind of placed in, you know, within the company of culture um, and her relationship also a little bit with, um, what was the dude's name? I can't remember. Jay Farrell. Um, Jay Farrell's character, uh, Julius. It, it was so funny because Raven was texting me in the middle of the night when she was watching it. She goes, hey, I don't like that they try to make him some kind of sex symbol. <laughs> I had a hard time taking him serious. I'm like, is he really supposed to be all that? Like, I, Okay. <laughs> I love him. I love his impersonations, but he is not sexy. <laughs> uh, but he so seemed very like sexually subservient to her. I, I don't know. I, I felt like that kind of took away from his sexy, his sex symbolness. Yeah. I, I, don't know. I feel like if he was more of a sex symbol, he could have been in more in control of that situation. And I right. felt like he, she was the one who was very dominant in the relationship. Yeah, he was just an opportunist. Yeah, and that's not. <laughs> I mean, he could have just been a fuck boy. <laughs> he didn't have to be a sex symbol. a fuck boy. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. plain and simple. Like, 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 thirst has existed before 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what did y'all think about Anna, uh, Anna and her kind of the way she kind of got into the industry and what she's kind of going through at, at culture or cult now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Scott, what do you think? Go ahead, Scott. Oh, I mean, I mean it, it, it seemed it seemed as if they were trying to set up a, a misdirect for the, the movie. I mean, obviously, it's called Bad Hair, so you knew there was going to be that uh, eventually. But, uh, you know, to Paul's point, uh, the very first 45 minutes of the movie was not a horror movie. You know, it was setting up, and it, it could have been the premise for just the, you know, a slice of, t uh, a slice of life movie set in, you know, that, that particular time period. And it could have seriously addressed, uh, you know, the... The, the social pressures and economic pressures around having uh, weave, you know, in the, the late eighties, early nineties, um, you know, the, her not believing that she was uh, visually prepared to be a video jockey or whatever, you know, the title was uh, VJ, uh, you know, for culture, uh, having to fight to get a, a narrative for ideas that she had to be put on the air uh, with the change in manage, managerial structure. Uh, you know, so I thought that all of it was, within a reasonable framework of what could have happened to, you know, a woman of color uh, during that time period. And then it obviously goes off the rails when she gets the weave, but the pressures behind that made her make, make that choice in the first place. And they, they reinforced it because after she gets her weave before it starts killing people, um, she's in a meeting and she's trying to convince other women of color, black women uh, to, to change their look or change their, their appeal to appeal to a different demographic. And, um, you know, that that conversation, while that specific one may not happen today, those types of conversations have happened over the last you know, 20, 30 years. And so it seemed to, uh, to have a certain level of relevance, you know, even to this day, uh, you know, considering the world we live in. Hmm. I think those conversations do still happen today. <laughs> Definitely. No, those conversations do still happen today. Um, and it's more so, you know, get in there and prove your worth, earn your place, assimilate until, you know, you've earned the trust of people. And then, you know, you can, you can show your true self, which is, is sad. 
Like, didn't it feel like when, when, when Vanessa Williams' character came in, it was like she was like a version of De Devil Wears Prada, but for like at a black media company? I didn't get that she was that smart. Um, like, Devil oh. Wears Prada, like Miranda Priestly, I mean, <laughs> she was a force. You know, she's intelligent, and I feel like she earned the right to be that bitch. I didn't get that from Vanessa Williams. I mean, she stole uh, Homegirl's idea, you know, one of their first meetings. So I just, I didn't get the impression that she was that strong of a person. And Miranda Priestley from Delaware's Prada would not have had anybody force her to get a weave. Like, they're, I think they're two different, completely different characters. Mm. I think the, the, the station or the network found a token um, who would go along with whatever image they wanted her to portray um, and then influence others to do the same. So I didn't see her as a strong character at all. Oh, wow. hmm. but, yeah, but, I, but I, I could see that, that part with her being almost, not necessarily true, but I could see some black women acting like her in 89 that were running, comp that were making executives. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can see it too. I can see it too. And it's not to, you know, um, you know call them weak, but um, I, th I think women did whatever they had to do to succeed at the time right. and, and, and still do. Um, I just don't think you compare her to, to Meryl Streep's But I mean, do, do you think, if she's not like Meryl Streep, is she more like Anna? Do you like, feel like Anna's going down that path where she, her destination in 10 to 20 years could have been what Vanessa Williams was? Like, do you feel like uh, in 20 years ago, she was essentially Anna? And if she is, not, I mean, if she is weak, I mean, because I, I feel like some of Anna's character or personality was weak in the way she assimilated, like you talked about. And I feel like she was possibly a version of her 20 years ago. And uh, she kind of got sucked into the system and just became a part of it. And that, that was the logical conclusion of, of where they're going or where Anna's going. Yeah, I could see that. I would have said that Edna, the, her former boss, who was like, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to go start my own thing and have my own company where people can be themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would see her more as that Devil Wears Prada character. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. Well, I mean, let me ask you a question, Raven, I mean, if, if, I, if I may. Of course. So, I mean, and so the, the, the point of the movie, you know, so she wants to adapt to this new cultural shift and change her appeal to make herself appeal more broadly to whatever that audience is looking for. So she gets weave and the weave winds up being the curse. Um, okay. I, but then she makes this fundamental shift at the end and basically writes off being in corporate America. Um, and and it's, over, it's overhanded. Uh, but I guess the question would be, is there a path in which she accepts uh, the contributions that she makes intellectually without having to visually change her, her appearance and still um, engage in corporate America to some extent? Or is it all, is it all or nothing? Is there any compromise or any com uh, component uh, undo, undo any value that she may provide in corporate America? You, and, and from your perspective, uh, you know, do you see that as being such a definitive statement or decision point? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, once you get to the point where you have enough confidence, and I'm speaking personally, because I definitely was one of those people that tried to assimilate in the beginning. But once I got to the point where I had enough confidence and I had proven myself, I feel like I can do whatever the fuck I want to do, um, because my work and value sort of speaks for itself. But then there were also times I had to create my own paths and I had to, you know, not go with the way things were always done and create my own way, um, and then have other people follow me that way. And, um, uh, help me show my worth um, to get people to give me that respect without me having to assimilate. But it, it's, it's, I mean, it's just like with any other job or any other situation, you have to still earn the trust of people. And it's sad that your, your hair or, you know, your physical appearance or the color of your skin is a factor that people put in, um, you know, making you earn their trust. Or even, just... even, even for black men, keep having some bass in your voice, even like, you know, uh, code switching, you know, as they say, the proverbial code switching. Mm -hmm. Well, do you all feel like, um, you know, do you, I mean, two of you all don't have hair. So maybe this is a question for, for Daryl. <laughs> are you concerned about your hair? How you, how your hair is cut or groomed, how your, your facial hair too, men, you know, you're, are yeah. you concerned about that in the way that you're perceived in the workplace? 
Well, I mean, I mean, I'm growing my hair back out again, but I had like, uh, you know, naturally knotted dreads for a while, you know, um, and I just didn't care. I mean, I, it's not like I didn't care. It's not like I didn't go get it cut, you know, I get it shaped up. I just, and I'm going back, I'm doing it again. So I, I, I cut them off because I, because I was interviewing for other jobs and I was like, oh, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? But now, I mean, I'm getting more and more comfortable with who I am and like it, it, my knowledge and what I know you know, mm-hmm. is, is, is going to speak for itself. That's not even going to matter. And I think beers on black men is, is a last three-year thing. Before black men can have beers at work, for real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, on a real, uh, what do you think, Scott? Yeah. You, you feel me on that, Art? Um, it's, it's okay. I mean, so when I graduated from college, I, I had hair, I had dreadlocks, and I didn't get anything when I went to interviews with dreadlocks, and then I cut my hair, and Two days later, I got offered. <laughs> um, so I lost my hair, so I went bald. And it became an issue. Um, it, I, don't, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's weird. Um, I get a lot of commentary about beards, but not from current employers. So you know, if I was looking for a new job, I would shave my beard and have it a little bit uh, more groomed. But you know, at at an employer. Uh, the beard itself uh, doesn't necessarily uh, affect, you know, I, I don't think my opportunities, but it, it could be just like you both said, you know, at that point you've built your, your case and your resume uh, for your value. So, you know, those things aren't, you know, as easy to, uh, to limit you. But um, I mean, I, Paul may not know this, but I'm, I mean, I'm six, seven, right? So it's like, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to, to weed me out <laughs> before we get to facial hair. <laughs> you're intimidating just with your physical presence no matter what's going on with your hair <laughs> and, and i mean like, like gerald you're talking about how last few years is when you've noticed it wasn't so bad with the beard and then i mean raven just in general you're talking about um uh you know things with your hair to, with today and, and i'm sure all that stuff was much worse in 1989 and that might just be I mean, I know we kind of covered that earlier, but that's probably just the simple reason why you said it back then is because it was probably much more strict back then. And, uh, and yeah, so. I mean, go look, but go look, even go look back at old pictures of even actors or anybody that was not rapper, even rappers at the time, though, most cats was clean shaven. <laughs> Like cats was not rocking beards. You know what I mean? Like it, you had to be, you had to get old school player in your uh, acting. To be able to, you had to get up to the uh, a certain level to be able to get the beer, or you had to get to the where you don't care no more phase of your life where you're on fifty. I mean, particularly the side connection, like you can. Like, I, I feel like my whole adult life, the goatee was always appropriate, right? Like, you, right. You know, I'm talking about the full beard. But you know, I'll say this though too. I mean, a lot of it culturally, like I would say, like um, you know, in a, you're growing up and you have limited images of you know black people on television. Michael Jordan have a goatee, made the goatee okay. You know, Magic Johnson have mm-hmm. a goatee, the goatee okay. So when you see the most commonly seen black people with those facial hair, and then you know, regular black people emulate that, it becomes a little bit more acceptable uh, in the environment. You know, and I would say, you know, similarly, you know, uh, you know, to a lesser extent, but still, I think it, it's relevant. You know, James Harden calling him the beard. You know, so for the last you know what, seven years that he's at Houston, he has this huge beard. And so now, you know, one of the most, you know, same thing with LeBron James, you know, some of the most visual, you know, black people that you see you know, on a day-to-day ESPN every night, you know, depending on, you know, what, what sports season it is, you see them with beards. So black people having beards isn't some, you know, intimidating cultural thing. It's no, it's a thing that, you know, when I see a black person, they typically have a beard. And so now when I see a, a black person I don't know will have a beard, it's not as intimidating, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Yeah. It became more culturally okay, you know. You know, you're not scared of Rick Ross no more. Yeah. So what? So let's get into the horror aspect of this. What did y'all think about the the, the her getting when she got the weave and how that kind of start going down that rabbit hole? Oh man, I mean, the scene everybody is going to be talking about, or and I hear people talking about, is when the weave started eating her menstrual blood. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> Um, but no, I, I love the horror parts. Uh, I thought they looked silly, um, but I thought that was done intentionally and I, and you know, it didn't bother me. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, the the murder first of the, the landlords trying to sexually assault her and then the, the murders in the hair salon, those, I mean, they were all kind of funny, but I thought they were gory and fun too. I think that uh, I think that was a little bit where Justin Simeon was a little bit weaker as a director. I, th I think that the first I mean it makes sense. I don't think he's ever directed a horror before before this movie, and so I think the way that he was building characters in the first, like I said before, was great. When it started getting to the horror, he was doing things like using a lot more like shadows and stuff like that, which is always like a cheap thing in in a horror movie when when you when you show like someone being killed through the reflection on the wall, and he did that in the barber shop with the hair. And um, I felt like it, it wasn't uh, bad, but I felt like that's where he can and probably will really improve as a director. Like if he does continue making horror movies in 10 years after he's made three or four more horror movies, we look back at this one and be like, okay, that looks like it was a first step into the horror world for him. Mm -hmm. It felt very B-movie. Yeah. Wait, wait, and the, 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 the first part didn't feel B-movie though. So I, I feel like it just... Uh, I mean, you know, a B movie can have really shitty acting. It can have really shitty character development, but he excelled at that. And mm -hmm. then it just automatically, randomly stepped into a B movie when the horror started. Yeah. I, though. I mean, like, I mean, the first what five Friday the Thirteenth are B movies, right? Mm -hmm. like, first five, you know, I uh, mean, to a large extent, uh, you know, the first two Halloweens are B movies, and so. <laughs> There's a there's a campiness that we kind of accept in horror movies that kind of puts you in that field, particularly if you're catering to a certain demographic. Like there was a there was a time when you're watching it and on VHS on you know some old school television that you had to put it on channel three in order to you know get the tuner on to watch VHS. And there's a graininess and campiness uh, about that whole field that's part of the vibe, right? And particularly when you're talking about something that's not going to be you know super mystical you're talking about some hair killing people like people who sit down and watch a movie for you know almost two hours they're not going to take it serious no one's going to have nightmares about their hair killing them you know period but so i mean there's there's a certain level of campiness that you have to kind of turn into uh you know when you're you're filming that movie so you know even though the haircuts were time uh you know time frame appropriate they were intentionally campy you know the clothing was intentionally you know late 80s early 90s to kind of put you in that mood so i feel like there's a, a certain level of campiness that you had to expect uh to really buy and that's it. the way it would have been filmed in the 80s too right right yeah but i would expect that campy audience like the people sitting down to watch friday 13th would just be lost in the first half because it's so well directed in the first half that I, like, like the friday 13th it's just I mean, I, lo I love the Friday the 13th for what they are. I absolutely love them. I got Jason tattooed on me. But, um, um, like, it's just trash from the beginning. The trash acting, cr trash character. The character development is just rushing. There's no point in even really introducing these guys. And um, and I feel like Simeon really is is good at that. Um, so, as m I, I mean, I really did like this movie. But I kind of wonder if it falls between those two worlds, where you, if you have people who know him, from uh, Dear White People, if they're watching it, if that second half loses them, or if you have people who just hear about killer hair, and like what you're saying, it, it, they wanna get into that campiness, and then they watch it in the first 30 minutes, they're like, what the hell is this? Why is nothing happening? Why is this? Or did I accidentally turn on an indie movie? Um, so, I, and I don't think it's bad. It just makes me wonder, it, it's like a risk. It's like a risk that it can either just be such a unique movie by putting those two tones together, or it's a movie that just loses a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and I, I mean, I, 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 I agree that it could be interpreted a couple of ways. I mean, me personally, so I can only speak for myself. Um, I was familiar. I, 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 I was introduced to this movie by the trailer, and at the trailer, I'm, I, I hear a movie called Bad Hair. I see that the hair is somehow killing people or attacking people. So I, I'm walking into it, sitting down, thinking, okay, this is going to be something campy. Um, if we just to continue the analogy between uh, Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th is a day in our culture that we say weird and crazy things happen. But until you're into the second movie, you don't know exactly how Friday the 13th actually plays out in this narrative. Ultimately, in the very first movie, it's Jason Voorhees mother that kills camp uh, counselors throughout that movie. And by the title, you're not, there's no way you're going to 
see that coming. So there is a certain level of narrative hide just because of the title that they have an opportunity to say, hey, this happened on this day, and these are the reasons why these things happen. When you start saying something in the trailer, bad hair, and then show hair attacking people, the, all the mystique is gone. And so there's only so many different ways you can introduce what the overall antagonistic uh, component is going to be in this movie without, you know, say without being campy, because at the end of the day, it's a, it's, you know, it's dead cells that are murdering people. And now you have to animate them and say why and say why it's an issue and write your way out of that. Whereas, you know, when you have other horror movies, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, you're not necessarily giving away what the plot of the movie is about by the title, bad hair in a horror movie. It, you're giving it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, another movie, even just a more recent movie, and I was uh, talking or texting with Raven about this, it, that has like such a huge tonal jump. And I think it's a movie that's much better than this, just because it's one of the greatest movies the last 10 years, but it's Sorry to Bother You. So Sorry to Bother You is a movie that is, it's one thing, but then it has this huge tonal jump. I mean, it's so big that I almost like hesitate to say what it is in case people who haven't seen it, it's, it, it comes on as a huge spoiler. Um, but I think that one even had like a bigger tonal jump. And I think because of that, that is a movie that's also very divisive. That's a movie where you hear people who, who either absolutely love it as much as I do, or there's some people who just hate it and hated the ending. And I think that movies like that are, are by design. And I think Bad Hair will probably go down as a movie that ends up being divisive because of the two tones. So, so just out of, so sorry to bother you, your first, your first watch, how did you connect the first half of that movie to the second half without spoiling for people who may have seen it, but just how, how did you mentally connect those two? I, well, first of all, I, I, I loved it. Well, I already said that, but I, I loved it because I love when movies do jumps like that. But for me, I connected the two because I felt um, Boots Riley's anger towards capitalism in that first half. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was not not hidden, but it was more under the surface. And when it bubbled up at the end and became out and it became, you know, just over the top in such a beautifully explicit way, I felt like um, it worked because if you can, if you were reading the movie and you were on board with the movie, you felt it underneath you felt it bubbling up but if other people who maybe weren't feeling that anger from him so much um and it that jump happened i think it would have shocked them a lot more so so i i guess to to answer that question again um story-wise it was a huge jump but but um message-wise it wasn't a huge jump it it, it was um, i think all the same message that he was delivering it just came out more at the end Thank you for your yeah. 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 So, <laughs> uh, so, so let, let, let's talk about the hair a little bit and how, like how these murders go down. <laughs> um, the first one is her landlord who was already kind of creepy dude. So, and I, and this is a, a trope in a lot of horror films is that the first few murders usually are people that be like, Oh, I get it. You know, like, yeah, that, yeah, that should have happened to them. And then it kind of escalates from there. What did you all think about when the hair start killing people and like it, it's murderous path? I felt fine with all of the murders except for the murder of the the um, her former boss. So all of them were kind of um, satisfying for me, except for that one. Because that one, that's what that's what for me when it got to like, oh, okay, now we we kind of go, we yeah. are getting innocent people now. Yeah, because I couldn't really understand the motive of the killings at first. Like, was the weave trying to protect her? Um, you know, I, I, I didn't understand it until, um, I guess, until Vanessa Williams' um, murder, that it was more about these weaves, I guess, that were, I don't know, reincarnations of witches that had some beef with each other. I don't know, like, that it was more of a, the weaves, the weaves' motive was to take over um, Anna's body. And it was about protecting her protecting that vessel um and you know not so much about protecting Anna's interests what about you Paul that's good uh no um I I mean I I think that's a great answer I I think story-wise I felt like um it was once it became 
unveil that's what it was doing i figured that it would follow that path a lot of horror movies follow so when it started killing everybody um it felt like it was where it was going to go um i felt like the uh murders on the film themselves like story-wise it made sense i just thought that it started to look kind of bad <laughs> towards the end and it, 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 did you guys have any problems with the digital effects or the cgi because like okay you take a look at that movie like like he shot it on 16 millimeter which i think is a really um bold thing to do because it's really expensive and um you really have to kind of convince people so that's why i kind of had that dreamy look to it it's because he shot it on 16 millimeter and i feel like if you're gonna do all the work and you're gonna spend all that much more money uh shooting on film to get the specific look why does it suddenly look like a cartoon at the end when yeah. that's, that starts happening. And that's more where um, I started to get a little frustrated with it. Mm -hmm. um, he poured all of the budget into the film and not the, the filming. Yeah. It, 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 it's, yeah, it seems like, it seems like a weird compromise. Like, like if I was directing and those were my two options to shoot on 16, I mean, I would love to shoot on 16 million as a filmmaker, but I don't know if I'll ever have the budget to do it, but to do that, to shoot on film versus having these kind of goofy effects at the end. It's just a weird imbalance. I would have tried to find more of a balance in between. And um, I, I, that's where it started to look kind of goofy and maybe um, for what he wanted to do, digital was the only way to do it. But I, um, I'm surprised he didn't like maybe down the ambition of what he, you know, at the ending in order to make it a more believable looking uh, form of effects. Did you guys have problems with it, or, or were you guys okay with uh, where that went? I had a, I had a big was... problem narratively instead of visually. Um, visually, okay, yeah, yeah. So narratively, for me, uh, at the beginning, all the attacks were based upon some form of blood already being exposed, and then you know the hair was drawn to the blood. But then, as we get to uh, later scenes, the hair is now you know, actively attacking uh, to get uh, to get get blood. And it, it kind of, from narratively, for me, it, it became difficult because initially, again, we're talking about the hair was, came from witches and the witches are going to ultimately take over the host. But we never really understood whether or not Vanessa Williams' character was taken over by a witch, you know, even though the hair murdered her when she was trying to cut it out. Uh, but then similarly, when uh, Anna was getting her hair, cut out, she wound up just attacking the, the customers of the, the, the store. And so for me, that was a harder thing to swallow than the the, the cheesy effects. Again, I, I assumed that the cheesy effects were done intentionally uh, for the film, but you know, I'm, obviously I could be wrong, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> I also thought it was super cheesy with the sprinklers kind of being the, the kryptonite for the hair. I was just expecting oh, them to yeah. like turn into gremlins or something. Um. <laughs> well, particularly when Kelly Rowland shows and says, never get the hair wet, but presumably mm -hmm. that's also the same attacking hair and yeah. her, her weave was still in. And so Right, yeah, so why didn't she just pour a bucket of water on her head and cut it out? But. Do, do you feel that he wrote himself into a corner he couldn't really get out of? <laughs> like, like, like to the point mm. where like he, he had this commentary, he had the conflict, and then it's like, how do we get out of this? And he's like, I don't know, he just like threw a dart against the wall. <laughs> We're like, let's do water to get out of this. Yeah. Uh, uh, because it, it feels kind of under uh, underthought of at the end. Um, as I mean, but that is a trope that, you know, black women don't want to get in a pool or get in the ocean or something because they don't want to get their hair wet because <laughs> they got weaves. Yeah. No, it, it, it totally is. But I think, I think he introduced it earlier to Paul's point introduced earlier as a trope and then realized that, oh, I can just say getting your hair wet is how you get out of it. Yeah. yeah. So Vanessa Williams is this, um, uh, is she like the queen bee of the weave? Like, so it's, and this is a question, something I misunderstood, maybe y'all could give you what it or explain to me. Was her weave like the queen weave? And that's why she ended up getting a job because she was the first person to get the weave that they can control and I guess we never got that backstory, but how was she alive but not alive? <laughs> that was confusing. I don't think she was like the, the queen mother of weave. Um, I actually kind of felt like Laverne Cox was more the puppet master. Um, oh, wow. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean- Because she told I her to go there to get her hair done. Because she told her to go there to get her hair done. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't understand like how she was still alive. I don't, maybe the weave had taken over at that point. I don't know. And she became immortal. I, it didn't make sense for me. I, and then they show the whole the whole rap. You know, they, they show uh, Dawson's Creek. You know, taking all the form of the people who died and taking their their weeds back to the to the tree. And but Vanessa Williams is still around. Like, and are they ripping the weave out of dead people's hair and then re-sewing into live people? Like, it just wasn't clear. I guess like, I had yeah. much bigger narrative problems than I did any visual yeah. problems. It just fell apart at the end. Like a lot of horror movies are like that, in my opinion. They just completely fall apart in the end. They don't know how to wrap it up. Who, who said they saw it twice? Was it, was it you? It, did that, it didn't make more sense the second time? Because the first time I, I was pretty lost in all that. Okay. So I went back and watched it twice. I go, oh, I must have missed something. You know, cause I watched it over the weekend. And there's other things that's going on. I'm, I'm talking, my wife is talking to me, you know, as we watched it the first time. And so we scheduled to, to record this podcast on it. I said, okay, I'm going to go back and watch it and pay a little bit more attention, uh, particularly in the second half. And it, it did not make any more sense. Yeah. Like, like, I feel like if people are watching it twice and it's still not making sense, that's probably yeah. a fault to the film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, so that, then, then it starts, you know, I guess morphing to all these other women that <laughs> – went to that same shop and it becomes, so I, I was, I was confused with the Lena Waithe Hive thing. Like, she's like, I just went up there cause they were, they all said he was going up there. I was acting like I was dead. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand that. <laughs> yeah, at, at, that point, at that point, the hair was not just, the hair was actively attacking people who they thought were blood surprised. It wasn't, you know, back to the point where, oh, now there's blood being exposed and I was being drawn to it. It was just, an attack and then they, they played the same bit like three times like she got snatched away by the hair on three separate occasions and with the first two she didn't actually suffer any consequences she somehow got away and it's like well it's not quite as dangerous because like she <laughs> got away from this hair like twice in this small it, small building it seemed like it was like something he figured out how to film and make it look okay so then he just kept reusing it because he didn't come up with anything else with the same character though <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna bring her back again. She's not dead, she's still alive. Yeah, I mean, she, Lena and I think she's producing, and Lena was, was one of the producers too. Yeah, I was gonna say, she was like the direct comic relief for the movie, too. So. Well, that was a contractual obligation that she had to have some <laughs> from a screen time. <laughs> oh, you're not dead, actually. <laughs> so, what, what, yeah. what do you all think about the, uh, the, the, the ending of this and how? With her cutting, with her the, the chase scenes, um, the uh, I guess you know all your horror tropes of you know something like the invasion of the body snatchers kind of feel to it. Um, what did y'all think about how it ended, wrapped up with her cutting her hair and you know realizing her sister's gonna get it too. Sister, cousin, whatever she is. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no matter how dangerous and. Um, I don't know, I just, I think back to the beginning scene or like the beginning of the movie where she spends her rent money on the weave. And it's like, no mm -hmm. matter like the sacrifice and the irresponsibility of it, like women are still gonna do what they need to do to look the way they wanna look. How about you guys? I'm not touching that at all. <laughs> Raven gets the last word on that one from me. <laughs> yeah, I'll defer to you too, Raven. <laughs> I mean, I um, don't, <laughs> I don't pay to get my hair done, but which is why I so was crazy all the time. So what you guys think about the ending, though, the, the, the way We still don't know what's going on, Daryl. Yeah, that's the point, huh? We don't know, huh? <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure it out myself, I guess. Maybe, <laughs> going out. maybe, 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 maybe they had a, a three-movie co uh, contract and they're going to flush out the entire story in the next two films in 2021. Yeah. Or, or it was almost kind of like the ending of a. Well, have you guys ever seen the movie? Uh, what's the movie of Roddy Roddy Piper in it? Uh, we live. They, they, they live. live. They live. Like they, it had a similar kind of ending to that, which is isn't the, isn't Invasion of the Body Snatchers into that as well? Like that. I mean, most Pardon? horror movies are like that. Like the thread is not over. Yeah. You know? it, it almost feels like it's like a producer breathing out his neck. Like, like do not put an ex exclamation point on this movie <laughs> do, do not make it so this thing takes off and is huge we can't keep it open so I, I almost feel like that was more just sort of like a contractual thing that he had to do to not uh stop it there more than he was actually saying anything or maybe he even 
wanted to do. I, I think that's, that, that's just open to opportunities of the future, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. And not like a narrative thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was just the end. Of, like it just, it seemed like it didn't stick to landing. <laughs> like it was like the planes kind of. Sh it was already a little shaky, and then it was like, all right, we just gonna try to land this with two wheels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that last wheel not gonna come down, and we not. It doesn't matter. We here now. Maybe yeah. the budget was going out. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't know. Yeah, what was the budget for this film? Oh, good question. Um. um I mean, it's on, it was on. Uh, Hulu, yeah, I don't so see I mean, it on IMDb. Yeah, I don't see it either. Maybe it's one of them things where they're not going, you're not going to know. They're not going to really give it to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, I mean, it couldn't have been that too much. <laughs> I mean, obviously. It says 8.9 <laughs> on uh, Wikipedia. Oh, really? 8.9 million? Yeah, on Wikipedia it says that. I mean, you know, that's... Okay. Whatever. I think Paul could do something better with $8.9 million. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Even though I, I did like I mean, the movie a lot, but thank you. <laughs> I mean, it says that, so it says a deal, see, but no, it's, it's eight, it, the budget is 8.9, it says, because it says Sundance, the, the, the uh, source says, uh, as Hulu nears $8 million deal for bad hair, streaming is necessary to make numbers work. So we don't know how much it costs. Hulu bought that for $8 million, it looks like. Okay. okay, that's not the budget of the movie. That's how much. Right, unless it's nine hundred thousand is was the budget, and they added that eight million and not eight eight mil to that nine hundred thousand is made it the whole budget. Hmm. I, mean, I mean, I feel like it was. I think they cast for nine hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the cast was known. It, it didn't really feel small. I mean, it, there were parts where it felt like it had scope to it. So I, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me if it cost close to what it was bought for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, if they got that cast for $900,000, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, Usher just showed up to kick it for a day. I mean, it was right. like, y'all, you ain't doing nothing. Let's come on up here and put on a, a wig with a box, right. a box wig on, and you have some fun. So, okay, because we've, we've had a lot of discussion about women and weave, and that's what this movie's about. <laughs> so the, the male weave, is that an option for you guys? And if so, why? Hold on, hold on. Don't <laughs> The male weave. What, 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 yeah. what are we talking about? The male weave beard that Katz is getting? All of it. All of it. Like, no, that's no, it's not an option. Why not? It's the only time I'm going to okay, so modify my hair is Halloween. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like on Halloween, I put on a wig. Maybe put put maybe put a little bit of you know mascara on to fill out my beard if I'm being black yellow. But that's that's the extent of of, of modification I'm willing to do to my hair. Okay. Not never doing it. You'll never see me with none of that. Uh, what's the little grease that Carl's Boozer be using too? Um, that shoe That's shine pulp polish, and you know, James. on his beard. Yeah, LeBron James too. You'll never see me that either. You know, that's if 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 it's time for me to let this go, it's time for me to let it go. So nothing to like kind of fix your line up in the front. No, right? no, no, no. <laughs> really? Okay. When it's time for me to come home, it's the time for me to come home. I'm so cut it off when it's time for me to come home. All right, okay. cut it off. <laughs> I haven't had hair since my mid twenties, so it's just it's all. Oh snap! So yeah, I I lost my like, like I, I was thinning about twenty five, and I was like I'm just done with it. I'm just <laughs> done with it. And uh, but I, I always wore a hat when I was younger. Like I played baseball in, in high school, so I always wore a hat during that. So I was so I was like I'm just gonna shave it all off, and it doesn't really change my look that much because I always wear a hat anyways. Now, yeah. speaking, now speaking of ball, though, bald hair white guys can always be either the Riddler or Lex Luthor for Halloween. And so, like, yeah, but, um, <laughs> or uh, or Heisenberg. Or Heisenberg. Yeah, Heisenberg. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, yeah. So, Raven, what do you feel about brothers wearing uh, the man weaves? <laughs> Did you ask the question? I don't like weave. On, I don't like weave. Period. Um, <laughs> so that goes across the board. Across the board, but no, but I think for a male to have a weave takes a certain level of vanity that I'm not, that just wouldn't be attractive to me in general. Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you go that far to glue some hair on your scalp. No. <laughs> no, no way. Like, yeah. And have you seen some of those videos where they make them look real? Like, yeah, yeah, no, they're really good, but I don't think they have a place other than like, Helping out Tyler Perry's movies. 
than oh. the wigs that he has on those people. That's the only <laughs> that's the only use I see for them. But to each his own. I mean, only I mean, if if, if you, you, you look, if you guys have ever seen Roy in his wig that he had, um, his is hilarious. Um, he tried to go as Bruce Bruce Leroy uh, for uh, Halloween. But we were walking down the street uh, for Halloween, and somebody goes, "Hey, man, you look like man. That's the dopest costume. You ain't you Yafet Koto for the Running Man?" And I couldn't <laughs> see it no other way differently. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm still out. Hair dye. I can dye my beard. I would have dyed all gray. Oh wow. Okay, that's a different flip. Maybe you could do that for the movie, uh, Scott. If I, if I could dye my because I got enough gray that I can't. It's, I feel like it's silly to try to dye it black, but if I could dye it all gray, then that way I could be like distinguished. You know, wear blazers with elbow patches on it. You know, like I get that professional thing rocking off. All right, final thoughts on bad hair, um, Paul. What you got, man? Final thoughts. I, I, I thought it was good. Uh, uh, ending lost me a little bit, but I think overall it's good, and I think it's a movie that is destined to possibly become a cult classic. Really? Wow. Okay. Scott? I, I think it was a, a serviceable a film. I don't regret it. I uh, watched it twice. Uh, you know, narratively, I thought there were some holes in it, but uh, you know, I, I, uh, I definitely would watch the, you know, the next iteration of either that series or his next horror movie attempt. I think it, it, he did some good things and set some, uh, a nice foundation for you know, the skill sets that would maybe serve him further down the line as a, as a horror director. All right. What about you, Raven? Um, I echo Paul and Scott. I think it's fun. Go into it knowing that it's satire. Don't take it too seriously. And, and you know, it's fun. Um, I will say it did make me interested enough to uh, go watch his other film, um, Dear White People. So, yeah, it was worth watching. Yeah, it was, I, I, I agree. It was worth watching. Uh, fun, fun movie. Uh, you know, don't go into it thinking, trying to think too much into it and just have fun with it. Shout out to Blur Underwood, who was, kill, who was trying to get an Oscar up in that bad boy. I forgot to mention that. He was acting his ass off up in their fist few scenes. <laughs> he was acting. So yeah, yeah. Next review, Raven, you need to have weave in your head. <laughs> pink weave, too. Like the pink streak weave, too. Right. Oh, God. Or no. blue. <laughs> I'll try. All right. Well, thank y'all for listening. We'll be back with another film review soon. Peace. Good night.